Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. All tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Hello, my name is Scott Arrell and I'm CEO of NZ Health IT um, here in New Zealand. And my guest today uh, is Dr. Will Reedy. He's, uh, he's the CEO of Spark Health, but has a massive background, not only in New Zealand, but offshore in Australia and the UK and, and elsewhere. So um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about what his background is because um, that would take up our whole uh, podcast. So uh, Will, how are you feeling today? Yeah, great. Thank you, Scott. So uh, it's nice to catch up and have a, a chat about digital health in New Zealand. Um, it's been an interesting 10 weeks for all of New Zealand as we, I guess, emerge from of lockdown uh, post-COVID-19. And it's going to be an interesting next 12 to 24 months in the health sector here in New Zealand. Yes, it is. Um, what's sort of been, uh, if I put it this way, so keeping you awake at night or keeping your days full on? And uh, you know, what's the most sort of one or two things that have really been uh, you know, running around in circles? Yeah, or, no, it's, or hopefully not in circles, but in in a, in a straight line or at least. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a, a really interesting ten weeks, I guess, uh, from Spark Health's perspective and my pers- perspective. It's. Um, I guess a global pandemic, uh, unlike the world's ever seen, and, and obviously New Zealand's one of the leading countries in the world in terms of responding uh, to that. Uh, in terms of what's kept us busy, um, as Spark and Spark Health, we're a lifeline utility here in New Zealand, um, so we're an essential service. So we've spent a lot of our time uh, providing critical services to the health sector, um, and we've triaged the sector into kind of tier one and tier two health customers. And so um, our initial focus was on the Ministry of Health and Home Care Medical who provide the coronavirus line and scaling up those services to support all New Zealanders as we went into lockdown and obviously in the weeks since uh, as we've moved from level four down to to level two. And then we've been working quite closely with primary and community care providers, the 20 DHBs. And then most recently we've been enabling and supporting the ministry with the release of the COVID Tracer app. Um, so we've uh, been supporting them in terms of a help desk for all New Zealanders and making sure the application's secure and uh, and also making sure that the data they collect um, uh, is protected uh, in terms of storing that data here in New Zealand and on the phones uh, that that uh, Kiwis are downloading the app too. So it's it has been a, a pretty busy uh, 10 weeks, um, but it's also been a pleasure to work with the sector. It's, it's been quite unique in terms of uh, collaborating uh, with our customers uh, and I think probably the, the best description I can give is everybody's had to go go agile uh, and I have had 10 weeks of pretty much daily stand-ups with a number of customers understanding the problems and the challenges making decisions and um, it's been incredible how um, our customers have responded in, in to the to the crisis uh, and, and and behaved uh in a way that's agile to deliver um, better services to New Zealanders. I think hopefully that, that continues uh, in the coming years, but that'd be the number one observation. Incredible response from the health sector, worked in an agile way in response to the crisis and some really great things achieved in a very short period of time. 
Mm. And, and just for some context, and yeah, we've got some listeners that uh, may not actually be involved in the health sector. They might be, you know, in technology, for example, and also offshore. So, you know, sort of the evolution of Spark Health. So, you know, if we, you know, someone might be just looking at Spark and saying, "Well, that's a telco," you know, what's it doing? You know, uh, with all this activity in the health system here in New Zealand. So, you know, a bit of background and how your roles evolved into where you are now. Yeah, thank you, Scott. So I guess my background is in digital transformation of health systems around the world. Returned home about four years ago uh, from a stint in Australia on, on a lot of digital transformation at New South Wales state level, which, just to give some context to the listeners, is the same size as New Zealand, um, at an Australian national level or federal level as well, and, and done very similar things uh, in the UK, Singapore, Canada and the US over the last 20 years. So joined um, Spark uh, as the chief exec in October 2018, and it's our only uh, vertical industry, um, and it includes not just the health and disability sector here in New Zealand, but also biotech, uh, pharma, and health insurance, or a true kind of health and life sciences uh, vertical. And uh, essentially, we uh, have got a 10-year vision uh, to uh, provide Kiwis uh, with a healthier life essentially through the power of technology. We aren't just a telco, um, so we are the number one digital services provider in the country and that includes traditional telecommunication services. Uh, we're the number one cloud provider in the country and have strong partnerships uh, with Amazon, Google and Microsoft to provide those cloud services to our customers. And then in the last uh, 18 months since I've joined, we've actually moved into transformation. So that's enabling our health customers to transform uh, how they deliver healthcare services uh, through the power of data, um, and more recently, business transformation. So really looking at the people process element. We can provide digital services to the sector, but we need our customers to adopt those at scale to realise the benefits of their, their digital investment. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that, you know, 60% of what we do is, is traditional telco, and the other kind of 30% uh, is, is cloud and IT services, and the other 10% is around transformation. So I think if you went to most boards of our customers at the moment, um, 18 months ago, they would have said we're a traditional telco, and, and do we do more than, than what I've just shared in terms of digital services? Um, but certainly that's changed over the last um, 20 months or so. Mm. Yeah, and I've seen the change too, just in the time that that you've been on board with Spark, and then you know, the, obviously there's a there's a, there's a plan in place, there's a strategy, and it's it's uh, it's bold and it's brave. But uh, certainly, you know, your positioning right now is has paid off, and you, you've been very busy in a lot of the pandemic recovery work and just working with the Ministry of Health and other DHPs. So, and the other thing I'm sort of interested in too is I know you've you know you and your team have been involved with the you know with the app, the Tracer app, and uh, various areas, and there's you know. I don't. I'm not asking you to go into the detail of, of all of that, but in my role, I experienced a lot of you know, phone calls and emails with frustration with some you know, developers, um, app developers, really not a lot of experience in health, if any. Uh, so, uh, kind of expecting me to try and smooth the pathway into the ministry or even the prime minister at times. Um, and it just seemed to be people thinking, oh, look, it's just an app, right? So why don't you just, you know, get your act together and do it? You know, not not you, but the, the ministry and the government. Um, you know, we understand there's a lot more to it. But, you know, from your experience, you know, uh, you know how's it been in dealing with that and where do you see it going in terms of the, you know, our longer-term tracing ability? 
Yeah, so excellent question, Scott. So I think it, yeah, it's been interesting, again, as the CEO of Spark Health, I think I've had about 40 different vendors approach us with a, an app for that for contact tracing. Um, and we, in all cases, through our relationship with the ministry, have obviously picked up the phone and, and, and talked to some of the leaders within the ministry about what their intentions were around contact tracing. And just to, I guess, play back uh, conversations or press releases from Jacinda and and Ashley over the last six or seven weeks is the app is one element of contact mm-hmm. tracing, which is actually quite a complex kind of clinical and admin process. Uh, so from our perspective, we referred the, I think it was yeah, close on 40 um, vendors came to myself and Jolie Hodson, the managing director of Spark, asking for us to roll out their apps. And, and our response was, look, um, this is really the responsibility of the ministry uh, and to, to manage the, the the global pandemic, which they've done an excellent job of, as, mm-hmm. as most New Zealanders have seen and the rest of the world has seen. Um, and, and then through that, the ministry actually did a really good job on working through what the requirements were of a contact tracing app, not just for everyday New Zealanders, uh, for clinicians uh, and for businesses as well. So our role really has been to uh, refer on these vendors onto the ministry and let them run a process to evaluate uh, contact tracing apps and the real risk there is if you get it wrong from an app perspective, then the data or the process might not support what they need to do effective na- national contact tracing. Because at the end of the day, you need that data from everyday New Zealanders. And if it's suspected COVID-19, um, it's the role of the 12 public health units coordinated by the ministry to contact people with suspected COVID-19, uh, manage them into isolation uh, process the test and get the test results and 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 look at the you know the contact tracing in terms of who they may be in contact with so i do think the ministry have done an excellent job there in terms of managing vendors i think they've had from my last conversation 300 vendors approach them uh talking to shane hunter and i think um yeah they've done a really good job and they've taken a path that is um they've developed their own or our own app for New- all New Zealanders. There are opportunities to look um, at uh, potentially one of the 40 vendors we referred on, as well as some of the apps that have been developed in, in countries like Singapore. And I think they have taken the right path because there's some unique uh, processes they want to support that requires integration to underlying systems like national identifiers for every New Zealander. Um, they intend to um automate, if you like, the notification of your COVID-19 swab result, and that requires uh, communicating and sharing information between lab systems across the country as, a, as another example. So I think um, they've done a fantastic job. Uh, we uh, have been really privileged, actually, to work with them over the last month to help them with an 0800 number, the help desk, so New Zealanders can call if they've got problems with downloading the app or registering for the app. Um, we've helped them host the system uh on the cloud, and we'll also provide the, the security uh, monitoring piece because mm. rightly so, Kiwis were concerned in the middle of a global pandemic if they're downloading app and sharing, storing data and sharing data, um, that they wanted it to be secure. So we've, we've managed that process in collaboration with the Ministry of Health. And again, they've been uh, very, very agile in terms of what we've done with them over the last four weeks. Yeah, yeah, and I applaud them as well. I think the the temptation would have been, you know, with all the pressure that was on, that yeah, you know, let's just, uh, as you say, uh, let's get an app for that, you know, and uh, the, and the press and media and and lots of others just uh, just not understanding the background and you know taking that longer term view and being brave enough to stick with it. I think that that 
that uh, that will be something that in the future we'll look back and say, well, that you know, good on them, and uh, you know, and working with the likes of Spark Health and yourselves and lots of others, um, I think there's been a lot of the industry players have have stepped up to to do whatever it's take, taken to to make sure we could get through this immediate period, but you know, um, deal with the future as well. And so, so talking about that, actually, you know, how do you see the future? You know, you've, you've obviously Spark Health and yourself, you've set a plan for the future. You, you know, it's, it's uh, it's got a lot of, uh, I'd imagine, big targets in play, and uh, I don't expect you to give away any trade secrets, of course, Will, but um, yeah, given the pandemic situation, COVID, uh, future viruses, but sort of getting past that a bit with the economy, um, how do you see the future and, and digital tech uh, role playing in the, in the health sector, but also you know the whole area of um, um, social outcomes and, and supporting people you know, who, you know, we've got a lot of redundancies coming up and that's going to have an ongoing or flowing on sort of health effects as well, you know, health and mental health and so on. So, um, yeah, what's your take on the future and how we, you know, with things that we should be looking out for? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the place I'll start is really what our vision and strategy is, is a New Zealand company owned, uh, that's, you know, focused on New Zealanders. And really we've got a, a vision and strategy uh, out to 2030, Uh and it's really around tomorrow's health and wellness team uh, are people, so everyday New Zealanders, plus clinicians and, and machines, which sounds a bit strange, but it's really the role of AI and machine learning. If you fast forward, we're in 2020, you think of forward what things could look like in 10 years' time, and I think uh, not only will providers want to have uh, more digital journeys and digital processes, everyday New Zealanders will want that. There is an element, I guess, at the moment where there's a lot of focus on the disease illness end of the spectrum, um, but we see a role uh, given uh, our uh, presence in the market to get involved in helping New Zealanders be healthy and well. So health and wellness play in preventing disease and illness. So that's what our aspiration is over the next 10 years. We're heading into the next um, three years of our 10-year strategy, and really our focus is on supporting our healthcare uh, customers with digital transformation and simply put that as we provide digital services to the DHBs, the Ministry of Health, GPs, community pharmacies, aged care, disability providers, there's some examples that allows them to adopt these digital services and transform how they deliver clinical services and we'll talk a little bit about why I think that's more important uh, post-COVID-19. Um, but yeah, we're very clear around providing digital services, enabling healthcare providers to transform how they deliver services to everyday New Zealanders to keep them healthy and well. The other element for us is we're in this unique position where we've got about 2.6 million Kiwis um, with mobile phones from us in their hands. And uh, pre-COVID and I think more increasingly post-COVID-19, there's a real desire for Kiwis to receive virtual care and, and a, di a digital experience via multiple channels. And so there's an element of what we're doing over the next 10 years to work with partners to provide Kiwis with, I guess, digital health and wellness tools. Um, but a key element of that is making sure that those tools um, actually have evidence to improve health outcomes for New Zealanders. There's a real danger of consumer apps for that um, uh, as we move forward, uh, not just in New Zealand, but globally as well. Um, if I come, if I touch on the social piece, and then I guess come back to uh, what we're seeing um, post COVID, the social piece is quite important. And so we've been working again, led by the Ministry of Health and with um, 
our fellow telcos being Vodafone and Two Degrees to offer sponsored data, which is for everyday New Zealanders, no data charging when they consume health content. So um, the COVID-19 information sites, um, soon to be the COVID tracer app for Kiwis, um, but also GP portals so they can have virtual GP um, consults for free at no charge. Um, and the last piece is around thinking about the mental health well-being. Um, and so uh, the John Kerwin depression website, which is unique here to New Zealand, but actually interestingly has a global following um, and also uh, access to uh, our national telehealth service. We provide a mental health line as well. Um, as, you, as you've alluded to, we expect um, COVID-19 to have an impact on our population from a mental uh, health perspective uh, for years mm. to come. So, so that's a really interesting piece where the ministries let it out and the three telcos have collaborated from an industry perspective to hopefully make a difference for all New Zealanders. If I come back to, I guess, post-COVID and thinking ahead to the next few years, I think COVID's created a unique situation and probably the best way I could describe it is, is if we fast forward three years from now and look back and go, what drove digital transformation in the New Zealand health sector? Was it digital strategy? Was it real challenges for the health sector around managing cost and ageing population and ageing workforce and inequity. I think most people will probably potentially look back and go, actually, it was COVID-19 that drove digital transformation. <laughs> yeah. So so that's an interesting view, and that's certainly our view within Spark Health, is that um, there's been such a shift uh, in terms of if, uh working from home or the future of work from a provider perspective mm -hmm. uh, and there's been a real shift uh, in terms of what New Zealanders want in terms of virtual services so I guess it's no surprise during COVID-19 that a lot of GP waiting rooms were empty and Kiwi's preference was to to have virtual consults. The most interesting thing we saw which I found fascinating was I thought a lot of Kiwis would want to go to video conferencing with their GPs as their default channel experience actually it was phone calls in text. Yeah, it was. So, it was uh, quite amazing how that, that came about. I, I, yeah, I was expecting a, a quicker um, yeah, upward curve to video. I agree. Yeah, yeah so no, we were fascinated by that. So um, so I guess that yeah, ultimately talks to the more traditional digital channels, so to speak, um, but also that it's a key part of, of um, where things are moving forward. Um, so from our point of view, we, we see a real opportunity um, in a sector opportunity where hopefully some of the things that are being put in place from a digital perspective during COVID will remain in place moving forward and the sector doesn't go back to, I guess, the old ways, uh, to, to coin a term. So there's kind of four areas that we think um, COVID-19 will uh, speed up or accelerate uh, for the New Zealand health sector moving forward and probably for other countries around the world. Uh, so we see a real piece to what we call uh, the patient is the point of care. And I think New Zealanders have realised that they can be the point of care. They can be at home or at work um, and, and actually re receive some level of appropriate care. Uh, I guess I'm not saying it has to be all virtual, but there is an element where New Zealanders got a bit more comfortable with it um, from a from a service perspective. And, and I think a number of providers across the country got more comfortable with it as well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, from our perspective what the health systems review says about um, new models of care and adopting virtual health moving forward. And the other thing that I'll talk to later on uh, is, is 5G. So, you know, again, an industry piece where we've got 
ourselves and the other telcos looking at 5G. And I certainly think 5G for everyday New Zealanders opens up a whole lot of possibilities around Mm -hmm. um, uh, the patient being the point of care. So we see that as a key theme moving forward. Mm. Um, And I guess it's that shift that we've always heard about from being provider-centric in the New Zealand health system to being patient or people-centric. And I I do think that's something that has been accelerated and hopefully um, uh, kept in place uh, moving forward. The second area um, of the four is we think there's a massive change to the future of work. And we think that uh, digital channels will be uh, a real material option to providing service delivery instead of face-to-face effectively moving forward. Um, and we see some clinical services across the country where di- they're digital first and how they deliver versus face-to-face, and we see other services being a good mixture uh, moving forward. The other thing that we see that's really important is, and it's and it's it's almost an adjacency, which is how the education sectors respond to COVID, and we see that the health and medical workforce of the future, a lot of the education will be done virtually as well. Um, so I think that's something that the sector needs to think about. Um, and I guess it also prepares the future workforce um, for digital as a core part of, of their competencies and how they deliver services moving forward. So I see that as a change within a lot of the educational um, organisations across the country mm-hmm. that, that churn out the health workforce. Third area is, I think we've got our fingers crossed here, uh, Scott, <laughs> is that there's increased <laughs> investment uh, in digital health moving forward. So I think um, there's some rapid progress, but there's the real opportunity with the additional uh, budget announced for health over the next uh, three or four years to look at um, uh, more percentage of the health dollar being invested in digital health to support the future of work, as I alluded to before, and potentially the patient uh, being the future, uh, being the point of care. I think uh, COVID-19 has also, if you like, highlighted the lack of business continuity capability in terms of digital health across New Zealand. So if you are offering digital services, you need to make sure those services are highly available and resilient. And if you're providing virtual care to everyday New Zealanders, you need to make sure digital services are available 24 by 7 by 365. And I think um, that's a realisation that's... um, come to the fore is that a lot of our digital health assets in New Zealand aren't uh, 24 by 7 by 365 in terms of their capability. I think there's going to be a a really big shift to uh, information sharing across healthcare providers. So hopefully picking up on an agenda that NZHIT has led out over the last two years around the interoperability charter and strategy Mm. and just getting some investment in that would make things um, a lot easier for the sector as as they digitize and I guess the most interesting piece I've seen from my perspective after being home for three or four years is I've now got a, uh, a COVID uh, tracer app interoperability standard, I think, developed in a record time uh, over the last seven or eight weeks um, and an API being published out to uh, app developers um, next week. So I think that's incredible, again, in terms of how the sector's responded and uh, churned out a new interoperability standard in record time uh, compared to our progress before. Um, the last area, which is quite important, and I think the context here for me is our public and private hospital system uh, has probably been the least digitised in the developed world for some time, and and, mm-hmm. and that's referenceable in terms of international standards with an organisation called HIMS. And I think with the realisation that we do need to start digitising 
secondary and tertiary care to, to catch up with primary care, arguably. I know there's a bit of work to do in community care as well. That the role of data will become more and more important and then the role of AI and machine learning to um, automate clinical and, I'd argue, quite inefficient administrative processes across the sector. Um, and if I think ahead to potentially the threat of other global pandemics, if we were able to digitise processes uh, moving forward or related to, say, contact tracing and, and managing pandemics and then having AI machine learning across that data, I think the ability for us as a country to respond to any future global pandemics or a further outbreak of COVID-19 uh, will be really, really important to to the economy, but also to the health of all New Zealanders. So I do think um, there'll be a, a move by the ministry and, and by significant healthcare organisations in here to really look at the role of data, digitising their environments, and then having a real emphasis on AI and machine learning. Because I, I do think AI and machine learning is a technology that's there. It's just a question of whether um, our customers will adopt it over time to help improve clinical uh, outcomes. Mm. So, so those are the kind of four, four areas, just to play them back to you. The patient is the point of care. We see that being accelerated. We see the future of work being accelerated and, and being digitally enabled. Um, we we do hope and we do see at this point in time increased investment in digital health to leverage um, the learnings from COVID-19 and a real shift to focusing on data and AI and machine learning. Um, so if, if I was to fast forward to 2023 and we're repeating this podcast, I guess hopefully those four things have materialised and COVID-19 has been the driver for that transformation. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good way to sum it up, you know, those four areas. And uh, what you've also cleverly done is um, given yourself a, another two, at least two or three podcast interviews with me, of course, to, so, so we can break down into uh, more of those topics and, and, and spend a bit more time on those. Um, and talking about time, we're just about uh, finished the interview here. But in terms of insights and, um, you know, the whole area that you've just launched recently, actually, the innovation program that, that you and Spark Health are driving, um, there was just an announcement yesterday about the 5G fund. Um, how about just finish off and you know, give us some insights into you know, what they are and where they're heading and, and the impact they're going to have. Yeah, yeah so it's, um, I guess for, for listeners, I, I am a practicing doctor and I, I guess after 20 years in the industry, when you think about medical treatments or surgical treatments, the sector is always innovating. And so there's a real opportunity with digital health to drive digital health innovation. And so we're doing two things. Um, the first one is we've got a Spark Health Digital Innovation Program. Our theme this year is AI machine learning, linking back to to the uh, the opportunities we see post COVID nineteen. But that was actually in play pre COVID nineteen. Interestingly, so we've just awarded um, fifty thousand dollars to five projects, and working with the National Institute of Health Innovation, um, they are going to look at um, AI machine learning and 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 the role they can play in improving health outcomes. Uh, leveraging Amazon or AWS's AI machine learning platform. Um, so Amazon are working with us in that space. And the idea is these projects will focus on health outcomes and Nahi will help them measure those health outcomes. And the idea is to um, provide uh, funding to accelerate those projects to provide health outcomes. And then if it's a positive outcome in terms of these innovations, then obviously scale them nationally. Um, so if I was going to share, there's, there's five projects quite diverse, but um, one of them is quite quite interesting is um, with obesity in New Zealand being a problem, obstructive sleep apnea has become a problem. 
um, at one of the DHBs uh, here in Auckland. They run sleep studies, and at the moment there's a backlog of about eight months from when the sleep study is done to when the report is provided back to that patient to confirm whether they've got obstructive sleep apnea or not. There's many complications from obstructive sleep apnea, high blood pressure being one of them. So essentially they want to apply the AI machine learning capabilities of AWS to that data and then come up with a diagnosis of you have obstructive sleep apnea or not to help um, reduce that eight-month report turnaround down to days. So that's one of the one of the five projects. So that's exciting and um, certainly uh, we are running webinars, et cetera, with HINs in the coming months around that and then the five projects also report on their outcomes uh, later in the year with NIHI. The second innovation project um, is related to 5G. Um, so essentially, um, uh, we uh, have set up a, a work stream called Next Generation Health. We're asking Kiwi businesses to apply. The successful Kiwi business will receive about $125,000 in funding to look at how 5G can improve health and wellness for everyday New Zealanders. And there's a lot of different you know, potential uses of 5G, remote patient monitoring, connected ambulances, um, uh, augmented reality, those types of things. And we just want to identify one project, fund it, um, support them from a technology perspective, um, actually fly them up to other examples of 5G uh, health projects so they can learn learn about how that's been done overseas because other countries are ahead of us uh, at this point in time with 5G. So that got launched yesterday uh, as a starter fund. Um, interested Kiwi businesses uh, can go to the website read about NextGen Health, some of the potential use cases. There's an application form, and essentially we are looking to uh, run the judging process in September. So there's plenty of time uh, for interested Kiwi businesses, um, and you're really excited to see what uh, Kiwi business put their hands up and, and how we can use 5G to power the future of, of health in New Zealand. Yeah, I saw that announcement yesterday, and uh, oh, and just um, yeah, for anyone that's interested, the website's just the 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 main Spark website that they they go in there and they'll they'll find the application area. Yeah, that's right, and it's called the Five G Starter Fund. Um, so it's it's quite easy to find. At the moment, it's flashed up on the main page, but if you get to the website, it's the Five G Starter Fund, and and you'll be able mm. to go through and read about the program itself or the fund itself, and then how to apply. Right. Yeah, and you know, harking back to what you said earlier, the, when uh, uh, we had to close the doors for GP practices, and you know, the bulk of GPs and their patients went you know, onto the phone rather than to video. And I was giving some thought to that, you know, just recently in terms of where does this head, and that would be the expected natural sort of thing to do because it was quick, simple, and expedient just to to do that because lots of practices, GP practices, weren't sort of um, let's say video capable or video ready so so that was the best way to just keep in contact with the patients and keep delivering care with the likes of 5g you know so, uh, we, that must get us up the curve um, quite sharply in terms of like say i maybe i want to use facetime and I'm, I'm hearing this from gps they've got patients that want to just use facetime for their video consult with their gp gp is concerned about the security and privacy of that of course but then you know as long as there's informed consent so they you know they're making sure they're covering that off but, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I can sort of see a time where, you know, yes, I want to use FaceTime to, to have a consult with my GP, uh, but but that 
consult goes through my my own portal um, to the GP and and back and forth, for example. So we're you know, we're covering off security, privacy, but also expediency and convenience. So you, you 5G must drive us you know towards that sort of um, uh, just normal practice in terms of getting our consults done in a virtual way. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. I think the other thing that's quite quite interesting to share with you, Scott, is f- I guess people think about 5G as being the SIM card on your mobile phone, but broadband won't be delivered via copper or or um, or fibre in the future. It's going to be uh, a 5G r- router um, within your home um, that provides you with wireless connectivity as well. So those are kind of the two kind of key elements. A lot of people get confused that it's just about the mobile phone, but it's actually about your residential mm. Activity as well, um, I think you know what you highlighted is as we become a, a people-driven or consumer-driven um, health system, then they just want a simple digital experience. And certainly overseas at the moment, they launch the right app or or video conferencing tool, and they just expect it to be secure and safe with consent, as you say, but connects into the relevant clinician, whether it's a GP or a community pharmacist or a hospital specialist. Um, into whatever tools they have on the other end. And so I do think that's going to be one of the big trends is New Zealanders will want a simpler process there as a customer, much like they have in other industry like banking, retail. Um, and then whatever is on the other end in terms of the clinician they're connecting with, they'll need to be able to interoperate around that. So I do agree with you. 5G will power that, but also there'll be have to be some simplification in terms of new, everyday New Zealanders' experience in consuming virtual health services. Mm. Yeah, okay, then, well, this has been fascinating. We've uh, gone for just over 30 minutes, and um, we've actually introduced more topics than we've covered, to be frank, so I look forward to getting you back on, and we'll do another uh, few podcasts, especially as you progress, you know, the old 5G um, fund, accelerator fund, your innovation program, and so forth, but hey, I know you've got a busy day ahead, in fact, every day is a busy day for you, but um, thanks for your time, Uh, certainly we'll welcome you back on if if you're able to, and uh, and have enjoyed the experience this time around. And, um, you know, I think we certainly on a, you know, the opportunities are there. And I, I, I like your point about investment. I think um, it's not only investment from government. I've been on you know, record lately, you know, sort of banging drums about, you know, we haven't seen enough investment in digital health specifically, you know, coming from the government. But um, I also think we've got to drum up and, and create an environment where we get some more private investment, you know, like for example, Spark. Spark are obviously investing a lot of um, resource and money um, into their health uh, program. But um, I think there's opportunities whether you're a, an investor in onshore or offshore. Got to be looking at the New Zealand market and seeing what we're, we're, where we're driving to in the future. Hey, thanks, Will. Um, and um, we'll enjoy having you back on sometime in the future then. Thank you, mate. Bye. Thanks, Scott. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz where you'll find links to resources, news, events and much more.